Carla and I stood about a hundred yards away from a lean-to with a satellite dish propped up next to it. Didn't take a Mensa member to figure out we'd probably found our man. But Jim Bob's truck, jutting out from behind the wooden structure, told the rest of the story. Lorenzo Rios' hideout sat in an area of brush that had been cleared approximately 20 yards or so around it. And the structure itself was maybe eight by eight foot square, made of wood on top of concrete blocks, set about two feet off the ground, probably for adequate drainage during the rainy season. Palm fronds were attached to the sloped roof by what looked like homemade twine, thin pieces of bark stripped from branches and woven over a frame beneath to provide insulation. I leaned in and whispered to Carla, I don't suppose I can talk you into staying here while I check things out. Carla shook her head impatiently. Okay, follow me around the left side. We'll go wide till we get close enough. Easy with the feet. Let's not alert him to our presence. Once we get up to the door, I'll kick it in. Stay behind me. Carla nodded and I took the lead, making a wide arc around the building, sticking close to where the clearing met the wooded area. When we only had about a ten-step walk to the door of the shack, I motioned again for Carla to stay behind me. My approach was swift, and we were standing inside the shack in seconds. My gun pointed at him, his bolt-action Winchester pointed in our direction, as if he'd been expecting us. He raised his head slowly and smiled. Lorencio Rios was not what I expected. Based on her initial gasp, I don't think Carla expected what we found either. You know those prison pictures they show of Charles Manson every time he comes up for parole? That's a good visual to start. Then add an inch of bleached blonde to the ends of his hair and beard, which I suspect were the remnants of the change in appearance Orecchio alluded to during our call. His face had the leather-tanned look fishermen get, and his hands were pocked with scars, old and new, with long yellowing fingernails. But it was his eyes that got me. Twin onyx beads set deep into sockets that hovered darkly above sunken cheeks. Lucy? That's all he said at first. The only other sound in the room came from the hiss of the burner on the small propane gas stove in front of it, busy heating a mug of water. With the string of a tea bag wound around the finger of his free hand, he dunked it up and down in the water and stared directly at Carla. He seemed to have very little interest in me, even though I was the one holding the weapon. That was my first indication he might not be all there. Lorencio? I could tell she was trying to match his nonchalance, but there was an underlying quiver in her voice, which he caught. The resulting senseless laugh, almost too childlike to be coming from an adult, made me queasy. He had the distinct air of someone not tethered to reality. He continued to prepare his tea while comfortably holding the rifle under one arm, finger on the trigger, pointed at Carla. It was a cramped space with a rough wood shelf that ran along the two side and back walls behind him, precariously stacked with boxed and canned food. 
A single set of plastic dinnerware and cutlery. Empty coffee cans. A toolbox. Rolls of fishing line. Duct tape. And a myriad of odds and ends that amounted to everything he needed to stay alive in his hermitage. The shack had no electricity or running water, and aside from the gas stove, there was a small grill, a battery-powered radio, and a propane lamp. A stack of books sat in the corner, the spines facing away from me so I couldn't see the titles. Something about that bothered me. I wanted to know what that nut job had spent his self-imposed isolation reading. As the three of us silently sized one another up, Rain began to pelt the leafy roof of the cabin in heavy drops. The door was open behind us, and I could hear it descend on the woods like a thick blanket, spattering the leaves and ground with its sudden assault. Lorenzo nodded eerily, as if he'd summoned the weather specifically for the occasion. When he spoke, he did so quietly, but it was an unnerving vibrato of high and low, disjointed tones that alternated from supplication to accusation. It was the voice of a madman. Out here, the world offers itself to you unveiled, honest, but still judging. Nothing to sell, buy, or mass reproduce. Just nature washing out the bed, allowing the soil to supply for your needs. Lorenzo Rios was devoid of color. He was surrounded by a gray mist that occasionally looked like the multiple squalling vortexes within it were trying to muster together to form a hue. But once those black holes spun into one another, what might have been the beginnings of a purple rage, the color would be sucked into itself. He was consuming his own emotion as fast as he could create it. Did the soil supply you with that fancy cell phone, Larry? I nodded in the direction of the object, sitting on the floor next to his leg. You communing with nature with that thing? Or have you been angry tweeting all this time? He either ignored me or didn't hear. The rain will continue to speak as long as it wishes, and will cease in its own time. As long as it continues to speak to me, I will listen. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. God can be found in the silent imagination. Only when you clear your mind and hold your tongue will he deign to listen to you. You're nuts. I shook my head without looking at her, hoping she'd let him continue to blather. It would buy us the time I needed to figure a way out of the mess we were in. He didn't seem phased by her accusation. His eyes widened and narrowed as he continued to speak. Why do we fear death? We must ask ourselves that. If life is merely an existential disorder, death cannot be something to fear. It is a foregone conclusion. It's only our conscious memory that quakes at any whiff of decay. So what? You're some kind of spiritual swami now, Larry? I clicked off to safety and fingered the trigger. Lorenzo looked up and smiled at me for the first time, sipping his tea with one hand before setting down the mug and fingering the trigger on his own rifle. He shrugged as he slid the bolt quickly and rotated the handle down. 
I heard the click lock the bolt against the firing chamber and cursed myself for assuming he'd been ready to fire, knowing I'd missed my best opportunity. Humans would like to wish their way out of the universe's austerity, but that cannot happen. Better to welcome death and decline. Wave it over the threshold rather than tremble at its power. Like the cycle of the flower or the predestined life of an animal. The entire sequence is a sacred part of death, as is everything leading up to it. Just blow his fucking head off, Morneau. I don't want to listen to any more of this shit. Carla took a step toward him. I barked out her name as Lorenzo's face twisted into a hateful grimace. He pointed the gun at her head, effectively stopping her in her tracks. Think of the death of your child as a greater part in your personal evolution, Lucy. Lorenzo's eyes bored into hers. I could feel her shaking next to me and knew she was about to do something that would end with both of their heads blown off. Because as soon as he shot her, I'd shoot him, and I wasn't in the mood for any part of that scenario. So while he stared at her, I nudged the shelf with my elbow, and a Rube Goldberg-esque domino effect gave me the opportunity to butt him in the head with the muzzle of my rifle when he snapped his attention away from Carla. As soon as he fell backward, Carla was on him. She lunged so quickly, things were still toppling from shelves as the two rolled around on the ground with his rifle sandwiched between them. At the mention of her son, Carla had lost whatever thin veneer of control she'd managed to exert. And now she was unleashing every ounce of pent-up hostility on the man beneath her. He grunted as she bit down on his nose and grabbed his hair with both hands, banging his head against the floor. I tried to get a hold of his gun, but they were scrambling around pretty good. Get off him, woman! I wasn't interested in either gun going off in such close quarters, not to mention all the propane in the immediate area. I grabbed the back of her shirt and yanked her off, immediately putting the butt of my rifle against his forehead and scooting his weapon out of the way with my foot. Okay, Zen Master Larry, do us all a favor and stifle the urge to wax poetic about the grand schemes of the universe for about five minutes. Otherwise, I can't be held responsible for what my secretary might do. I put a foot on his stomach and applied enough pressure to further emphasize my request. Then I jabbed the muzzle a little harder on his forehead. That was mostly for me. Carla, grab that duct tape and get this boy hogtied. Then we can drag his ass to the truck. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get the hell out of this muddy burg. Carla snatched the roll of tape from the floor, pulled the end free with her teeth, and started wrapping it around his ankles. Once she did the same with his wrists, I lifted him to a standing position. You wouldn't have to have anything to drink around here, would you, Larry? I scanned the mess on the floor. He ignored me and smiled at Carla. They'll be coming for you, Lucy. They know you've got it. Carla spat in his face. Fuck off. Who's they, Larry? I nudged him in the ribs with my elbow. Okay, maybe nudge isn't a strong enough word. He winced, but continued to smile at Carla. That's when she kneed him into growing so hard, I felt a sharp pang in my own sack. I'm not sure that was called for, being as we've already got him subdued. Now... 
Help me drag his ass to the truck before his lungs reflate enough for him to start yammering again. Carla turned to me and shook her head. We're not taking him to the truck. I instantly knew what she meant to do. And although the idea gave me no amount of discomfort, I wasn't sure Carla understood what the personal ramifications might be. Maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point she'd have to face the consequences. But it wasn't my choice to make, and since I could see she wasn't going to be deterred, I reached down to pocket Laurentio's cell phone. Okay, but rip another piece of that tape off and slap it on his mouth. I'm not traipsing back to that goddamn boat with him spouting off his psycho blabber the whole way. The walk back through the woods in the rain was no picnic. Particularly since old Larry seemed to have figured out what fate had in store and was in no hurry to get there. By the time we arrived at the airboat and got loaded in, then followed the GPS directions back to the swampy area where we had to disembark, the rain stopped. It made our final trek back to the shack where we'd been held captive a little less uncomfortable. When we were finally standing outside the closed door, I looked at Carla and found that her resolve hadn't wavered. She put her hand on the wooden latch and nodded at me. Then looked at Lorenzo one last time. I waited for her to say something. And it even looked like she was trying to summon some final words for the man who had ruined her life. But in the end, she just shook her head and swallowed hard. Then nodded at me again as she opened the door. I pushed him in and heard him hit the ground as Carla closed the door and leaned back against it. I could hear Lorenzo shuffling around with his bound wrists and ankles, probably trying to move as far away from the animal as possible, accompanied by the sound of the heavy chain dragging against the ground. Go on. Carla closed her eyes and leaned her head against the door. I went around to the other side of the shack and unscrewed the large nut that held the toggle boat in place with a wrench I had brought from the toolbox in the boat. When nothing happened... I wondered how long it would take for the gator to realize he had free reign of the place. I closed my eyes and listened to the cicadas, leaving Carla to guard the door. I figured I owed her that. This was something she needed to do alone. But when the banging started, I walked around to the corner of the building and saw her leaning against the door with a stoic look on her face as she dug in her heels and used her body weight along with the latch to keep Lorenzo from getting out. The sounds coming from inside left little to the imagination, and I wasn't particularly interested in hearing much more. Once the pressure on the door from the inside disappeared and the screams turned to guttural moans, I moved around to stand in front of her. You had enough? Her eyes were still closed. Give me a few more minutes. Carla, enough. When she opened her eyes to look at me, I saw that, for her, it would never be enough. And that scared the hell out of me.